Hello, I'm Hannah McInnes, and I had the pleasure of attending the Closters Forum in June to interview some of its participants for a podcast series to discuss the complex issue of plastic pollution. The Closters Forum brings together thought leaders and decision makers in the Swiss Alps to inspire discussions and cultivate collaborations in order to tackle some of the world's most pressing environmental challenges. I'm Elizabeth Whitebread and I'm Programme Manager for the Marine Plastics Programme at Fauna and Flora International. We're the world's oldest biodiversity conservation organisation and we've had a marine plastics programme for about the last 10 years. And our main focus in that time has been on microplastics because of the disproportionate risks that they pose to biodiversity. But most of the work that Fauna and Flora International does is working internationally around the world with local partners who are seeing big threats to biodiversity in the places where they live. And so recently we've started working with partners on the ground, looking at the problems they're facing from the plastic pollution crisis and sort of working with them to help them address those problems. So can you just explain what those specific risks are, how biodiversity is being affected? So um, biodiversity is affected in a number of ways. So the larger pieces of plastic, animals can obviously get entangled, um, which can lead to their death in many cases. Animals can eat plastic and that's all up and down the food chain. The, The tiniest little zooplankton can be eating a tiny little piece of microplastic or, you know, Much bigger animals can be ingesting whole plastic bags and we've all seen the images of birds with their stomachs open full of bottle tops and lighters and all sorts of things. But then there's also the the toxic burden that plastics carry. So we know toxics are very good at attracting and concentrating toxic chemicals from the surrounding seawater, but they also leach out the chemical additives that are present within them and those go into the bodies of animals that eat them and we don't know yet what all of the impacts of that are but a lot of it is you know hormone disrupting and having quite a big impact on those creatures that are eating them and then there's also just the the smothering of ecosystems as well that's happening so coral reefs are mostly affected by being smothered by pieces of plastic that um, that then increase the sort of bacterial load on that coral reef and one of the kind of bigger issues I suppose across species and ecosystems is just all these factors combined leading to a decrease in resilience for ecosystems that are also facing a whole load of other pressures like overfishing, climate change etc and it's a combination of all these different pressures that's really putting a huge strain on our marine environment. You told me earlier that you're an optimist and you focus Mm. on solutions. What are the solutions that you're looking at? So there's any number of different solutions. So there's not just one solution. And there must be because there are so many different problems. Yeah, yeah. But so we would sort of have a hierarchy of solutions that first off looks at what are the unnecessary plastics that we just don't need to be using? And that includes a lot of single-use plastics. We were one of the main NGOs in the UK that worked towards the microbeads ban that happened there a couple of years ago. So with things like that, you know, there's clear alternatives. You don't need to be using plastic. Um, How do people know? It's not the labelling isn't clear enough to say, you know, microbeads. It doesn't say microbeads. Because microbeads is really, that's a marketing term. Like, it doesn't really mean anything. So this is the problem is that is that 
individuals would have to have a good enough knowledge of polymer chemistry to understand when they look at a label what's a plastic and what isn't. And to be honest, that's not straightforward at all because many polymers can exist in solid and liquid form. So, um, you know, just because it sounds like a plasticky thing doesn't necessarily mean it is a plastic. And we've uncovered a lot of sort of grey area ingredients where even with the research that we've done and talking to companies, um, a lot, of, a lot of time people don't definitively know. Like, is that a, is that acting as a plastic in this product or not? Um, and it's it's not clear cut, so it's very difficult for consumers. And because they're just not a necessary ingredient, the easiest thing is to just not use them at all. But then, of course, there are a lot of other things that actually we we can't get rid of and in many cases plastic might be the most appropriate material to use because any material we use has a consequence you know environmental or social consequence so at that point then it's about reinventing systems so that we're not wasting um, materials and reinventing what are called sort of looking at alternative delivery mechanisms to replace traditional packaging so that you're not having so many kind of single serve portions, things like that, um, so that we can move to more of a kind of refill and reuse um, economy. And then finally, beyond that, it would be looking at alternative materials. But as I said, all materials carry some kind of environmental and um, social cost. So in replacing plastic with something else, you really need to look very hard at all the different externalities and make sure you're not just replacing one problem with another. In the talks this morning, we were looking at deadlines. Mm -hmm. From your perspective, given that you're analysing things close up, what do you think we're looking at in terms of how bad it is, how bad it could become and how quickly we need to act? It's really hard. I mean, basically, the answer is we need to do as much as we can as quickly as we can. And that's not a very satisfactory answer. <laughs> but it, it's true, not just with plastic, but across the, the scope of issues that we're seeing affecting the natural world. So, you know, with climate change, the recent UN report has said that we have 11 and a half years now. And of course, plastic is predominantly still made from fossil fuels. And not only for the reasons of the problems that plastic pollution is causing in our environment and the the need to massively decrease the amount of plastic that we're using from that perspective but also from the perspective of climate change and of needing to leave fossil fuels in the ground we we really need to be transitioning immediately do you think that people need to be able to see this like you can to want to act and we have to make sure that people are still always seeing these images to understand. Blue Planet was obviously a huge activator, motivator, but are people able just to see this from going to a place to beach, etc., or do you have to be able to have other ways of showing people the problem? And are you working on that? I think um, visual imagery is incredibly important and effective as a communication tool, and I think, you know, Blue Planet affected people that are really fundamental and emotional level I think particularly that um, piece of footage of the the baby whale with its mother that was dead and had had eaten plastic and I think it's emotional things like that where people feel kind of connected to the problem but I think also it's really important that people feel empowered and people don't feel blamed you know people need to feel like there are solutions and that they can be part of the solution 
ultimately this is not this is not really a consumer driven crisis like the plastic pollution crisis is the responsibility for it lies with big multinational corporations and it lies with um, high income country governments that have really sort of encouraged this throwaway culture that we have now and so I would say like um, communication is is really important so that people are aware of the problem but people have to be empowered to know that there are solutions and that through them kind of demanding change from companies and governments that that the world can change. Can I just ask from what you're doing on a day-by-day basis what's your critical priority? So for me I think like the critical priority is really for companies to acknowledge and take on full responsibility for the products that they're creating and that's not just talking about what happens to them after they're bought and then used it's not just talking about end of life and waste disposal but also about where they're getting that product from and how it's created and the whole supply chain and you know we've we've worked with a number of companies and it's always really surprising that a lot of them the the end users the brands that are you know selling plastic products or products packaged in plastic don't know mostly where that plastic comes from and they don't know how it's made and they can't tell you who their suppliers are beyond one step back and I really think like you know we put a lot of trust in our modern society in these big companies to to provide us with sort of um, you know safe and like responsibly sourced goods and actually I think if companies were much more invested in being responsible stewards of the products that they create, then a lot of these a lot of these problems um, would be solved because the system at the moment is not is not one where people are taking responsibility. I wish we could go on. Thank you so <laughs> much. Thank you very very much. Thank you very much. Go and enjoy your mountainous walks. <laughs>